I'm Fathery. This is Starfleet Boy. This is Brian. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 130th installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And tonight we are here not just to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide, but this is also the 800th episode, if you count the movies and shorts also. Of Star Trek. This is the 800th release or 800. Well, I guess that's not true because they didn't really release the cage. Well, they kind of did like years later. <laughs> it's, it's the the 800th uh, production, Star Trek. we'll say. It's of Star the 800th Trek. Yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> it's a Star Trek number 800. And it was a comic book. That's pretty awesome. Ooh, yeah. So, very nice. Uh, here's to uh, the long road to uh, 900 and then eventually 1,000, which I think we'll, we will actually hit 1,000 in like five to 10 years, I'm predicting. I mean, they're moving forward pretty quickly and yeah. lots of projects are afoot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I expect us to hit 1,000 by the time we get to the 2030s. So <laughs> however you feel about this decade, it, it will be a a uh, standout era for Star Trek. I would like to be a very old man and perhaps slip into the next big adventure on the 1,701st <laughs> <laughs> uh, Star possible, Trek. possible, I guess. Yes. It would have, like, all of Star Trek would have to like double and then some uh, between now and then but it is possible it do you is think possible. uh do you think when they get to to episode a thousand they'll be like uh oh i gosh i wish they weren't uh, all the shows weren't set in the 32nd century now we've it's so played out <laughs> i don't know i don't think that'll be the case but we'll, we'll find out when we get there but yeah. let's let's talk about this episode that we got here uh it was Written by Kenneth Lynn and directed by everyone's favorite director, according to Will Wheaton, every show loves him the most, <laughs> director Jonathan Frakes. He's pretty awesome. And, yeah. And I'm just going to uh, summarize the episode real quickly by reading the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on it with spoilers. Uh, but the uh, synopsis that I pulled off of Memory Alpha reads... After capturing the USS Discovery, Osira seeks a meeting with Admiral Vance while Burnham and the crew must overcome unimaginable odds as they attempt to regain command of their ship. I think that's actually spoilery itself. I'm glad I didn't see that before watching the episode. But yeah, uh, Osira uh, basically comes to Admiral Vance. She sneaks her way, breaks her way into Starfleet HQ to just be like, I want to talk. I want to sign this armistice. I want there to be peace between the Emerald Chain and the federation but 
those peace talks don't go through because she refuses to take accountability for her war crimes. And while that's going on, Michael Burnham has a diehard-esque adventure on the uh, Disco, which is under command of the Emerald Chain. She is able to uh, rescue Paul Stamets from the chain and actually remove him from the ship against his will because he wants to go rescue his family that are still in the Verubin Nebula. Tilly and the bridge crew also escape and prepare to recapture the ship with the aid of the sphere data, which seems to be emerging as the personality Zora that we know from Calypso. In a form that that fathery kid has to love. <laughs> in a form of like some cute little R2-D2 droids that don't really belong in this franchise, but it, it is what it is. And they, they are not going anywhere now. <laughs> Actually, the dot .23s don't bother me nearly as much as the dot .7s. I, I, like, right. I didn't like that existing in the 23rd century, and like... Uh, when we've seen so many Star Trek stories, we're like, you know, it would have been really easy if we just had like a robot to go on like the outside of the ship to do that, or you know, things like that. It's like it just always felt out of place. But here in the 32nd century, I, I do not mind really. Fair enough. Uh, they even had the division colors in their eyes. Yeah, I thought that I was a nice that. touch. Yeah. Well, uh, we should each give a, an opening statement and just kind of express our broad feelings and reaction in this episode. Um, I'll go ahead and go first, and then we'll just uh, pass the mic around until we all get our, our statement out there. But I had a really good time with this one. I kind of never know if Discovery is going to make me, like, cranky or make me, like, happy and excited. Um, I'm, I'm happy and excited this week. Uh, I, I know I've had, like, a lot of complaints over the season, but uh, there's been multiple episodes that I flat out loved, and uh, this is one of them. Um, I think Osira, who I've, I've had some criticisms of, is a better written character in this episode. Uh, still not great, but good. Uh, I, I like them kind of fleshing her out and making her a bit more complex and a little bit more of an interesting baddie. It's, uh, trivial, but there's so much little, like, dotting the I's and crossing the T's with, like, little details that my, my Trek trivia brain loves to fixate on, and, and they can actually, like, be distracting. So I, I like that, like, they're, they got, like, a lot of that stuff right in this episode, which was always a plus. And I love seeing Star Trek so directly and blatantly like go after capitalism as as the as the enemy as the bad guy it, it does this a lot star trek has done it a lot if you pay attention it does it often but not always so i love it when it when it does they uh they use the word capitalism in this episode that's that not happened too often very yeah that was not that i know i took note of that as well Yes. And I, my my biggest thing that i wanted from this season is for it to tell a a, a story with like a clear vision that wraps up strong in the end and doesn't drop the ball in the in the finale. So right now I'm, I'm riding high. I'm really on board with what they're doing. Like this is some of like the the most I've ever been engaged with the show and the entire history of, of Star Trek Discovery. It's really gonna break me if if they if they they crush me next week and just like like do a bad ending to the season. It, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> it's it's hard for me like not to have high expectations when I want to love this so much. So that's that's the position I'm in, where I'm in a very good mood, but also uh, kind of terrified. <laughs> so next week will either be a celebration or a pity party. Oh, uh, uh, it'll be a wake. <laughs> yeah, I'll either I'll either be I'll either be like uh, just giddy and smiling and bouncing in my chair, all all happy and bright eyed to talk about it, or I'll be like on, on like a really grumpy rant. So <laughs> so tune in next week and find out. Uh, Starfleet boy, what do you got? What's your opening statement? I, I really agree with you about uh, all the fun I'm having, uh, especially in the last, you know, the last few episodes, just it's been building up to this, like, um, this moment. Uh, and I definitely can nitpick about 
things, but overall I'm just really uh, enjoying it. I was surprised and pleasantly not like I was confused and surprised of Osiris move. I really thought it was going to be a pew pew come in guns blazing, disable the Federation uh, security subterfuge. So I really love that they did this whole story of Mm -hmm. like, you know, showing the vulnerability of the Emerald chain and like, you know, I I agree also that like I wish this kind of was like written in a li- you know hinted or perhaps like shown a little bit more in in previous episodes like I I've, I've heard that uh from some of my other friends and and I agree with that but but at the, but overall I I look at Star Trek as a show all the new Star Trek series Picard Lower Decks even and and this show uh as a show that is probably written to be binged but it's released week by week, so it's very frustrating. But if you watch it again later on as like a a more whole work, I think everything just balances itself out, and and that's what it feels like it's doing. And so we'll see what happens next week as well. Cool, uh, Brian, what do you got? There, there's some kind of goalposts thrown around about capitalism bad, uh, and by I suppose by implication socialism good. Um, though they 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 they, they stop short of throwing that word out there. Um, but uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of deep subtextual stuff that I could, at least not that I can assess with only this snapshot. Maybe when we see the next episode, it'll tell a more complete story about the human condition. But that said, this was a hell of a ride. This was exciting from moment one. Uh, even the sit around the table and talk scenes were exciting. Um, uh, they, they, this was, yeah, very thrilling, very exciting, very, and, and not just dumb action. It actually had my brain working and I, oh, well, that's a good idea. And that's a good, you could actually think about it a bit and, and it would mostly hold together um, pretty well, uh, uh, you know, by, which is unusual for science fiction space opera in general but um uh so yeah and this was exciting there was great character moments everyone got uh you know everyone got a little moment and beat to look cool or look evil or or whatever um so you know okay maybe the there wasn't a a, you know there, there's some sort of how much compromise and do you, who do you get in bed with to to bring about galactic peace and stuff going on i suppose but but it didn't seem to have a lot of other much more to say about the human condition in detail than that it was uh far more involved in all of its plot and character stuff but that's fine they did real a real good job um i guess i'm I'm wondering, do we know if the next episode is, is just a standard length episode? It's not like a, a two hour finale or anything weird I, like that. I don't think they would do something two hours. It might be like okay. a little over an hour. Okay. I'm just all like, kind of like close to an hour. They've got to wrap up the, all of the plot lines, all of these plot lines that we saw to, you know, in this week's episode, plus all the stuff with Saru and Colber and, and, uh, um, whatever the, 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 um, Adira. Uh, no, or, uh, the um, Sukal. Sukal, yes, and Sukal, and get everyone back to a safe place. Presumably, if they're going to end the season on something that isn't a big cliffhanger, and maybe they are going to end it on a big cliffhanger. I don't know, but yeah. they, there's a lot of stuff that needs resolving in 45 minutes or so of of uh, you know 50 minutes of next week, and they it's going to be tricky to get all I, all that in uh, uh, in a satisfying way that doesn't feel like too much deus ex machina um that said 
this is easily the best season of discovery so far. I, I, I didn't have a single episode that so far that I disliked. So even if the final episode is bad, this is still going to be one of my favorite seasons of star Trek, just because all of everything else was great. I, 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 I loved every episode was, was above average by the standards of star Trek, in my opinion. So, uh, maybe not wildly above average, but at least, you know, equal to or above average. So it, it was, this has been a great season and I, I'd love, the, love them to stick the landing, but if they die in a gloriously badly written episode, I, it will still be a hell of a ride. So. so it's very like Klingon attitude. You're, uh, you're, you're all about going down into ball of flame. Yeah. Uh, today is swearing. a good way to write like a hack. So. <laughs> So uh, I was not on last week, but I didn't. I wasn't uh, in love with last week's episode. In fact, I, I kind of disliked it. Um, I, I think I have a, the opposite of whatever Brian has, where you enjoy the dreamscapes uh, or, uh, that, that represent our uh, internal or internal life uh, and, and 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 mindscape. Uh, not super into that. Um, and what what sort of explanations they began to give for the burn did not sound good to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, and, and then, uh, so I did something I actually rarely do. At the end of it, I was kind of so disappointed, I decided to go ahead and watch the next time, or, you know, the, the, the preview of the next episode. And and I was like, uh, shit, it's just going to be a bunch of shooting. This is going to remind me of the uh, ending of season two, which had a, uh, for me, pretty lackluster battle sequence uh, that, that I wasn't really invested in. And then I really liked the episode when I watched it. <laughs> um, and it was not at all what I was expecting, and so it... Uh, at all, at most every turn, it sort of surprised me with uh, something I something I liked. The sort of at least chatty centerpiece of it, the uh, discussion between Vance and Osira, was that sort of more substantive stuff that I've always been wanting more of from Discovery uh, to kind of grapple with something a little bit and talk it through a little bit more next gen style. Uh, you know, uh, the the question of um, there was something of an actual discussion of ideas here. Uh, you know, uh, can, can this peace be achieved? You know, what concessions are people willing to make? Is it worth the, is it worth the peace if Osira doesn't have to pay for her crimes? And, uh, and also they introduced a, an interestingly, some, some morally ambiguous characters, uh, like her, um, Oh, uh, who, who was the guy who was played by, he's an actor who played the Klingon, I guess. And Kenneth Mitchell. Kenneth Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. His character, yeah, uh, I thought was interesting. I, I did. It was a little abrupt to suddenly have nuance added to uh, Osira, and I think <laughs> I, I would have preferred it had, that they had engaged with it much more of the season in other ways. But um, but I was happy to see it, and uh, and then I also um, I always like a good uh, take back the ship kind of storyline. So I was like I was enjoying all the die hard. Um, you're gonna need some new FBI guys. <laughs> you're gonna need some new regulator <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I thought it actually ended on a cool little cliffhanger, uh, like a kind of a cool bit, cute robots aside. I was surprised by your reaction. I totally, from the way you were like teasing at the beginning, I thought you were going to say you hated this. <laughs> I was trying so. to, to, to build drama. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> she, it was very effective. I, I knew <laughs> Dave was going to dislike last week's episode and I thought he would like this one. <laughs> so, he was trying to pull in Osira. <laughs> a, lot of these, a lot of these multiple episode arcs, I... Like my philosophy, I like like here we have basically a three part season finale. So I do try to like hold judgment until the end, especially if there's things I dislike. I'm like, well, maybe I'll like it better by the time they get to the end of it. That's my advice with this type of stuff. But I don't know. Maybe the end will break my heart. We'll find out. 
I still think stuff needs to stand uh, stand enough, at least well enough on its own that uh, that it's entertaining. Even if uh, we, we should always at least be open to the possibility that it, stuff will get recontextualized by uh, you know later outings. Yes, because context is for kings. Yeah. As a, an evil man from an evil universe told us one time. <laughs> I heard the 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 butcher's knife cares not for the lambs whining or something <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> that one too. i wish it was called that's that. 930 years ago we gotta, we gotta move on yeah let's do it we're gonna start at the beginning with the discovery approaching starfleet headquarters and the trick that they're doing of having the emerald chain ship the viridian pretend to be attacking the discovery uh, they have complete control of the ship. They're locking down the computer, but there's some crazy little part of the, the hard drive that's like about like old Earth media that they can't seem to like get control of. That just seems to be operating independently. Little little um, Chekhov's gun there for some sphere data. But yeah, Vance at the HQ, he is concerned. He's like, oh, why won't they you know respond to hailing frequencies? I guess they're being blocked or whatever. So Osira knows that Vance is not going to let them just like crash into that that force field. That he will let them in. Uh, we also have the entire bridge crew is captured and stuck in the ready room, and uh, Ren the Andorian is there. Zara from Episode Two is there with his uh, frostbitten hand from the parasitic ice, uh, <laughs> mocking acting Captain Tilly. And Book and Burnham make their way through a very dangerous transwarp corridor. They uh, show up just in time as the Discovery is about to enter the HQ. They lock down Grudge uh, safe and securely so no one's worried about them as they prepare their ship for ramming speed and very dramatically crash into the Discovery shuttle bay. So uh, what did y'all think about like this this opening sequence? I just, I just want to quick say I appreciate that they assured we cat fans that Grudge yeah. is uh, <laughs> stowed away and safe. Yeah, I was pleased about uh, that too. Yeah, I I was it was in, nice to see that uh book either book uh or Michael is in fact a big fan of the Mandalorian given their uh a, a, or not not Booker back <laughs> eh, Osira is a big fan of the Mandalorian. <laughs> given uh how they how their little how her little trap unfolds. So I was like, "Oh, very yeah. nice." <laughs> Even though thinking of the timeline, this episode was probably written before that one was. <laughs> ah, yes, but it's the 32nd century. Clearly, in-universe, it has to go the other way around. Yeah, that's not a long time ago in a galaxy you know, um, far, far away. Uh, I, I actually, what was the... Uh, I, I don't want to go off on get into the Mandalorian, but what just what was the general episode that had where that plot sort of thing happened? They used that Lambda shuttle to, to crash mm -hmm. the Imperial ship. Being chased gotcha, by Boba gotcha. Fett's ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. To get uh, inside. Anyway, it's, it's a, it, was a, it was a kind of a cool little plan, you know aided and abetted with uh, getting shot up by her own ship and all that stuff. Yeah, I also, like, I really loved Admiral Vance. I I, I really like him. I've enjoyed him all season. And uh, I, I keep getting annoyed with people who are like, oh, I think he's going to turn out to be bad. And it's just like, no, you've I just seen too many... People. You've seen too many Star Trek <laughs> stories where, like, the where Starfleet is sinister. And I'm so glad that they're they're not in this case. And I think it's really confirmed here when it's like, well, Osiris knows he's not going to let them, like, crash into there. And... And he does, you know, open the, the, the force fields. It is that little bit of mentality of, like, using, using like, the good guys, like, uh, morals kind of against them. Yeah. You know, he's very um, he's very shrewd for much of the episode. He figures out that it's Osira later on. He He's kind of, he's up, you know, up to her cat and mouse sort of negotiations. But, yeah, but yeah he, he does have his sort of, you know, Federation 
weakness, naivete, whatever, you know, however it would be assessed by their enemies. He does have that. Yeah. I, I thought it was odd that he wasn't sticking to General Order 12 a little more tightly. From Star Trek II, when you encounter a ship and you cannot get open communications, uh, you you should, you know, go to yellow alert, raise the shields, assume there's possibly a, a deranged genetic augment from the 1990s. <laughs> That's, uh, the that sounds like 24th century policy or 23rd century. <laughs> they, they do have red alert. They're in, con- they're in condition red right I now. I know, so, but yeah. the point is they're worried about... <laughs> Osiris big ship and not so much about discovery and I was just thinking Savick needs to jump in and start quoting General Order 12 <laughs> where's Savick when you need her so yeah I guess Lieutenant Wilma ain't no Lieutenant Savick uh but yeah it was fine I, I'm just kind of more of, of pointing out there was a chance to put in a really good easter egg and they didn't take it a couple people in our comments asked and uh, and I wasn't sure if I had actually missed some little throwaway explanation, but is there any particular reason why the uh, shuttle bay thing to uh, Disco was open? Do they not have it's a Because it's always door? open. It's been open since it, the, the ship was first seen in the third episode of the show. They don't have, like, some kind of, like, I don't know, like, hard uh, defense screen or something like that? If up, they though, do, uh... they never close it. They have never closed yeah. it. There's, they've closed it a couple times. It's been yeah, closed. There's a, a, there's a few. Over. There's a few VFX shots where, from a distance, it looks like it's closed. But there's and, never been like a close up of it. You've never seen it open or close. Oh, it does right. seem like having the a, a little shielded area over that though would would maybe be a good idea. Well, I'm I'm guessing book be, between the velocity book ship is going and all of book's fancy super tech, it probably punched through most type of shields. Also, I my head cannon is that they were running discovery with very low shields so she looked almost like she couldn't possibly survive against Osiris ship for another minute. You've got to let us in or we're all going to die kind of thing, which of course backfired because that allowed yeah. book to get inside. He was also given an RFID when when they made book an official shuttle that allowed it to pass through oh, uh, the yeah. shields too. Yeah, uh, just as a headcanon, yeah. another headcanon thing we could throw in there. So, <laughs> I have a question though about that stuff about like book and Burnham's journey through the uh, transwarp corridor. Is there's a bunch yeah. of uh, ship debris in there? One of them is a cool Gornag. If you stay till the end of the show, I'll, I'll disclose that. But mm. it's so full of debris. Are these ships were like? Ships that were in transwarp at the time of the burn, do you think they might have been blown up during that? That's what I reckon. My other question is, in that Voyager episode, uh, Dragon's Tooth, I think it's called, where they introduced that race that were like the very clear Cardassian knockoffs, because Deep Space Nine had just ended, and they, <laughs> I guess they wanted to have like Cardassian-type villains on Voyager, so they invented the, the, the Vardwar, or Var, however you say it. They set them up to be like this big thing, but they only use them in one episode. But they yeah. had they had uh, subspace corridors that were full of debris. So it's, mm. now I'm thinking like a subspace and transwarp the same thing. Well, subspace is used to create a warp field, so transwarp is always going to be tied In to subspace, subspace somehow, on, on, right? a, on some sort of level. But uh, I did like the idea that these conduits are breaking. I mean, according we see the Borg have to have these special gateways and systems to maintain their conduits, or they they fall into disrepair or collapse. And here we see that in this this thirty second century, the 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 corridors are not being well maintained, and they become an incredible 
incredibly dangerous, and apparently you can only take very small ships through them, otherwise you'll smash in to all the other ships that have been destroyed either because of the burn or just because the conduit has become so dangerous that other ships, you know, went through and didn't make it to the other end. But I like that idea. I, I thought that's a wonderful, cool new mechanic to add to the Star Trek universe. Uh, if I was ever... It, it, it gives you the option to get from one place to the other really quickly, but also at extreme danger. It's like driving the drive, trying to drive a highway in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, dead cars yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it, it it both gives them a storytelling mechanic, but also it's self-limiting to the point where it doesn't unbalance things and make things too easy uh, for sure, people. Yeah. I have a I have another a follow up question to that. There's stuff like in those cor- in those transwarp corridors that's just like floating there does that mean you can slow down to a crawl and like if you wanted to in while you're still in the transwarp tunnel or you're just like carried by a current yeah so wouldn't all those things be moving around Uh, and for story purposes i would like to think that you know uh you can do it but it's often going to cause catastrophic problems but at some point Uh, it would be all it's always be would be cool to go in there and find some survivors as part of a storyline. There might be a thing that once you stop, you can't get going again. Maybe that might be a spitball. Yeah. I want to see some uh, ghost ships of the trans warp. (laughs) Yeah. Finding a ship trapped in there with a crew or something would be fun Mm -hmm. uh, that you need to rescue. I did have this point where I realized we're not watching Dr. Who we're watching Star Trek because if, if book was chasing them down and they're, they, the discovery is about uh, the the commandeer discovery is about to slip into the Starfleet HQ safety bubble, um, and it was a Doctor Who story. Book would have rearranged the parts of his ship to spell out the word trap out there in space, so that Admiral Vance would say would look out and just book ship well, shown up well, and it's forming into a word. It says trap, and I thought that would have been, yeah. I was like, that's awesome. Why didn't they do that? Because this is Star Trek and not Doctor Who. So instead, mm-hmm. we recreate the greatest Star Trek movie ever, Star Trek Five. Five. And I thought boom, it was in we go. Actually, it's you my know, first on that, attempt. On that note since everyone yeah. knows morse code couldn't you just morse code cloud uh club outerman that's it that's the word that's an awesome that's word a, that's from yeah. like a like german like uh naval or nautical superstition like yeah. if you're good sailors if you're good sailors and you maintain your ship well then like the spirit of that ship will take care of you when you're out at sea i, be- I believe and that's what i the discovery seems to be this yeah. becoming um, with, with zora actually like becoming <laughs> yeah, a character zora. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's 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 uh really cool. Well, uh, anything else, or shall we move on? Uh, just the Star Trek Five homage, and then on that note, since everyone knows Morse code, you could just phaser, uh, oh. phaser blast Morse code onto the shields, <laughs> saying it's a trap, or send a message that way. And I'm surprised. Well, by the time Vance that. figures out that's going on, <laughs> it's probably too late. It needs to be quick. He's they it's got true. seconds. Good. They should <laughs> clearly uh, just always have some like real simple automated uh, drones looking for morse code everywhere <laughs> it's real handy as the long morse as you set that detectives. up in advance that's fine but you know you you have to check off on that shit so well the discovery does make its way into the hq and osira has her scientist buddy her uh, little friend played by kenneth mitchell invigilator aurelia i think i'm not really used to that word invigilator 
But yeah, he's he's an invigulator. They keep saying that, like, oh, the invigulator is working. Like, that's like a I thing I'm supposed that. to know. Or and now I can't but... stop laughing at that word. I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> oh, unsure. Like, is, that, is this supposed to be like it invigorates him, but it's a regulator no, it, too? I, I googled what it means. I googled what it means. It's like someone who like issues an exam. Uh, uh, and then I saw like, like ads for like, do you, do you want a job? Do you want a career as an invig- invigilator? Huh. Okay. Wow. But anyways, she has invigilator Aurelio uh, working with, with Stamets to try to uh, learn more about the, the spear drive and, and, you know, figure out a way to mass produce this. That is her ultimate goal. And this is where we, we get to see like a little bit of like vulnerability and humanity with Osira during her conversation with Aurelio. Uh, also, why, why that's going on, uh, Book and Burnham in the shuttle bay uh, come up with like their plan. He treats her for, for radiation, so okay, they, they took care to bring that up. We don't have to worry about her radiation poison anymore. He gives her a concealment device because she knows the ship better, and she's more likely to successfully get to Stamets. And this is where Burnham says, I love you for the first time, and Book is like, oh, it's not the first time you talk in your sleep, and they have this mm-hmm. cool little sweet moment, and they kiss, and then... Uh, to to be the party poopers, Zara and his regulators come in. They capture Book, take him to the ready room with the bridge crew characters. Uh, while that's going on, Admiral Vance figures out, like, oh, wait, it is a trap. And he, he has, like, the ships surround the Discovery. Osira gives him a, a holographic message, though, and is like, hey, look, like, I know I came here under uh, false pretense, but I just want to talk. Can I please, like, come aboard and just talk to you? And he uh, has to say uh, yes to that. So uh, what do we think about, like, these developments? I was baffled as to why Osira decides that in the middle of this big operation, in the heart of enemy territory, that's when we should start futzing with the spore drive. I would think you'd want Stamets, you know, with his hands in the goo, ready to go in case this whole thing goes tits up. We're boom out of there. And and that struck me as odd that that would be the time. And maybe it's going to maybe when we learn more of Osiris plan, it will make more sense that he she had to get started on this immediately. But it sounds like everything it seems like he's doing with Stamets feels like something that could have been done tomorrow or the next day. And it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. There's a later scene, Brian, where Osiris. Uh, basically says i'm going to give the discovery back of course i just needed leverage but i think so she was taking advantage of the time that she thought she might have had to extract the secrets of the spore drive so you think she was really going even if she hadn't figured out the secret of spore drive she still would have handed paul and the the, the discovery back i think she might have wanted that option she might have wanted that option as a bargaining chip all right well she does say she's playing a very dangerous gamble even she admits that this is a crazy ass plan and it could go badly and and i i really like that moment where like she does seem to like have like this type of friendship with him and like like this kind of makes you believe her sincerity later. Are these the only the first times that we've actually seen real vulnerability from her? I, don't, I feel yeah. like she was always there was always bravado previously. Yeah. She likes this yes. guy more than she likes her liked her nephew. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is basically the only moments we've ever seen with Osira is when she kills her nephew for being a failure to teach the audience like, oh no, she's like a big baddie. She's really willing to kill her own nephew. And then the way that, like, she'll talk to Saru or Tilly during, like, their confrontations. She's on like the a mother screen. to this person, too, because he was a child when they first petitioned to for her to save him, basically, right? And so she sends him off to the—yeah, so so that yeah. shows that yes. Orion's live a long 
time and can still look pretty young. <laughs> I don't. I mean, like he says he was ten, yeah. and he looks like he's in like his thirties or forties. I can even like, believe, I can believe 20s, like she's in like her fifties. Uh, By the way, shout out to Ken Mitchell, who's great. Yeah, he was so good. <laughs> Kenneth Mitchell. I think he's. I think I looked it oh, up. Right he's on. actually forty-six or forty-seven, I believe. It's the thirty-second century. Everybody who has resources probably lives a ridiculous amount a ridiculous of time. Amount of time. You know, yeah, uh, Star Trek Discovery definitely has in its um, yeah. uh, in its in its format. It, it likes to do. You know, it has season-wide mysteries and things like that. And I think they clearly wanted her humanity to be a reveal. And I do think that kind of sucks. I <laughs> like it's it's kind of not great for showcasing character depth uh when you have to do a when it's a surprise reveal that a character has depth now i liked it a lot i'm glad they did it uh but it is it is such a weird way choice to kind of have that as a reveal it's you know? it's with a twist though there is i well not only that there is a twist though i mean she still inherently has the wrong uh perspective if you will because right. the way she goes about things even though she does have compassion and caring for uh, aurelio this character uh and maybe shows it for others the vast majority of her actions show that she's actually like a psychopath stamets has a fantastic line later on when he says i believe you that she's more than what she appears to be but she is also exactly what, what she, she appears what she to appears be. to be yeah that's yeah. actually great that is fantastically illustrates yeah. what i was trying to say yeah like like she's definitely yeah. more right. but she's still that part so uh, i'll be curious to revisit I, I i you know i don't think they were really hinting at it in any way shape or form but we will at least know what's kind of going on in her head and and, and that, that you know she has to presumably have that bravado to to like tame the <laughs> hinterlands that she had with the reveal of her actually having like some depth and humanity they did a similar trick in season one of picard with nerissa when we get like that probably like the best moment with nerissa that scene of her over her aunt ramda's hospital bed right and, you know she's talking about like her concern for for her aunt who took her in like like the reason why she's so dedicated like this cause of of, of the of their what is weird it, like uh, anti AI. what is it with modern trek stuff. and its surprise reveals that women are humans <laughs> <laughs> well evil women that, that evil women and, and neither one of them were human one was a romulan one i was being pithy you knew what, what i meant yes um uh, anyway, but but you know, I liked that uh, I liked that scene with Nerissa too, but it was too little too late for that character. It's probably the only scene. That was the only Nerissa scene that you liked, yep. Dave, am I right? Uh this um uh and and I haven't much cared for Osira either. I thought she was a little bit of a flat villain, uh, just not evil enough to be truly memorable, only kind of evil in the way they would describe the actions of the Emerald Chain. Uh so so this was this was very welcome for me and I thought the actress did a good job of, you know, uh, really, really selling me on it in this episode. And they gave her a lot of time to do it with. So the episode did, did you know, gave her many more opportunities than the actress who played Nerissa had. Uh, again, I think it's a weird structure. I still liked that they that I'm glad that they did it, though. Better late than never. Them doing it did make me want. I, I really hope she doesn't go kabloom next week. Um, I do hope that this is a, a a character we can get more development from. And could in she future. become the gold Ducat of the? I would. I would not like, mind I that. I, I mean, I, 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 see I, that. I see that potential for sure. You know, I don't want this to just become. You know, the Federation is back and everything's great. <laughs> you know, I, I I would like to see them kind of um, challenge themselves. Um, yeah. A little more DS Nine in there. I uh, I one thing I'm still uh, still wrapping my head around if you know 
we assume she's legit about this proposal to Admiral Vance, which all the arrows seem to be pointing fairly solidly in that The direction. lie detector said she, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why even bother with the eye de- the lie detector if you're I not I feel like there is there. something more to with that, yeah. that like the yeah. weird questions about why they, who they based it on. But but yeah, but yeah what would finish your thought, Brian? Yeah, um, coming in using this subterfuge and 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 basically holding all these hostages right there in front of Starfleet HQ seems like a very odd way to go about it. I totally get her seizing Discovery because she wants the spore drive and and uh, but but using that she she could have once she found out the coordinate of the base she could have just. Spore jumped there and popped up on the screen and said, all right, I've got discovery, but we need to meet all this dog and pony show about shooting and smuggling, tricking them to get it, letting the ship inside. What did that accomplish? Uh, What helps her get leverage? But you could sit outside the bubble and you have just as much leverage. You still can kill the discovery crew. um, And, and if if anything, but she also, she also wants to like turn some of them over. So well, I don't know. I thought I thought it. Worked. I, I guess it's. I, I thought it was both. It was both dramatically satisfying. And I think I think it makes sense in the universe. I, I guess it seems to me like she's basically pissing off Admiral Vance as much as possible, and then coming to the negotiating table and asking him to trust her. Uh, and that felt well, really weird. You know, uh, I almost think that there's a. It's sort of on a, at least on a dramatic level. I think sort of makes sense in the sense that she knows her reputation. And so for her to kind of come in there and sort of do a, I could have opened fire, I could have started executing, but instead I'm coming to the table, is a sort of very showy, dramatic way of saying I, I'm sincere that, you know, I, I don't know if that, that, that at least in the way she thinks, she might not think that they would buy any other way, you know, that she has to... Uh, show that she's a, the badass they think she is. I mean, she seems pretty sharp about how Starfleet does things in, in this episode and previous ones, uh, and, and seems to be really on the ball about who these uh, who Starfleet is and how to deal with them. I suppose to some of this could just be propaganda tools for later when she goes back to the rest of the Emerald Chain leadership. She says, yeah, I tricked him in there and I busted and I had a gun right to the Admiral's head and it was all me. They were at my mercy. You know, it's a lot easier to bragging rights than I flew up in a shuttle and said, could you let me in, please? You know, that's hard to spin that. Can you pull up Stress-Free K's uh, comment there? Osira doesn't really understand how normal non-sociopathic people think. Does she, though? She seems really sharp about predicting and figuring out how things are going to unfold up till now. That That's one of the, the only character traits she had really was that she was very clever. I, I think, I think the fact that she does like capture the ship and like come like this close to like, like coming into the HQ and possibly, possibly positioning herself to like do more damage to, to Starfleet. I think it's, it's very much like a power move to like do all that and then back away from it. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I just want to show you like okay, I, I can give you a big bloody nose right now, but I'm not because I want you to know you can trust me, you can talk to me, you can negotiate with me. She's a person who lives by big dramatic flourishy moves. You know, um, you give us this, we'll give you know we'll you know uh, give you the pesticides on that you know uh, on books planet. She's she's not a quiet negotiator person, um, and I think she knows that reputation. And you know, she revealed re, you know she she wanted some of uh, some drama. Honestly, I guess I believe it's called cowboy diplomacy. 
<laughs> That's pretty cowboy. Yeah. That's more like bandit diplomacy. But... <laughs> uh, well, I, I had one other question. Why doesn't Book just replicate more of those little armbands? Why Why does he only have... Why don't you just replicate more dilithium? I, I mean, dilithium is supposed to be a special substance. Is is this is this armband built out of some magic substance? Is that yeah? What there's a saying? little bit of dilithium in there, and it transports your bio. I, I suppose that would work. Know. I guess, <laughs> though it seems useful enough that I would have bumped some dilithium <laughs> off Michael just to have a few more of these around. <laughs> the concealment device. Yeah. yeah, he got it from a, a, a quote unquote tosser. Yeah. He was That's trying to like rob from helm. <laughs> Let's let's talk about the Burnham stuff though. We'll we'll do all of the like the the Burnham sneaky sneaky diehard stuff, and then we'll move on to the to the bridge crew and to Stamets and the Osira Admiral meeting. But yeah, there, there's this dude, one of the regulators on the Discovery, who's trying to like uh, he's trying to steal the badges off of their little memorial wall that they made. That was weird. Uh, I guess all the people who died in season two. I like this confrontation between Burnham and this guy where she, you know, you think it's just going to be like an easy takedown. Our main character who knows Vulcan martial arts is just going to like knock this guy out. But no, like she pays a price for it. She gets stabbed in the leg. Uh, a little Bruce Willis and Die Hard having to like run around with uh, with bloody bare feet in a moment. But she's uh, on, on her quest to get to Stamets. She's crawling around in the Jeffries tube like Bruce Willis and the, the duck work and the uh, building and Die Hard. Um, she tries to patch herself up, and Zara's uh, regulators cor- uh, find the, the guy knocked out, and they corner her in the Jeffries tube. She's able to initiate a fire to get the fire suppression system to vent the Jeffries tube into space and suck the regulators out. Uh, so she's able to uh, escape from that, and then she has like the cool action hero moment where she tells Zara, like, uh, looks like you're going to need some more regulators. So what, what do we think of, like, a diehard uh, Michael Ho, Burnham ho, ho, here? now I have a phaser rifle. Yeah, yeah. Did we go too far into the diehard? I mean, we, we leaned into that, like, so hard that anybody who's seen that movie is going to think of it, and uh, to the point where it was, seems fairly deliberate. Are we okay with that in our Star Trek? I mean, Star Trek's done Die Hard multiple times before. Well, yeah, but, but I like, mean, taking it much, to the point much where... Much more so she, in Starship Mine. Yeah, uh, yes, but they took it to the point where she's literally running around in bare feet. That That's a whole nother level of referencing a very specific film but, in a very listen, specific Listen, Brian, it's going to make for some cool and fast, fun cosplay one day. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> bloodied, barefoot... Uh, uh, Burnham running around. Yes. Uh, fo- I, I, I loved this stuff, though, because I liked that Michael had to struggle so much to just get from the shuttle bay to engineering was like a a life and death struggle. And, you know, people always accuse her of being a Mary Sue, but like when she gets like stabbed in the thigh and has to like fight through that and still knock the guy out, but like struggle hard and it doesn't just come easy. I'm like, no, like Mary who? Like, no, like this is just like a competent, strong character. I I think your concern is, is, is fair, Brian. It's, that's a, that's a very specific thing for them to homage. And it's a, in in many ways, a very untrek like, yeah, I wouldn't even bring it up if they hadn't done the bare feet. If it had, if the bare feet hadn't <laughs> shown up, I just would have said whatever. It's a bit diehard. I think, like but, fathery, I thought it was like so cool that I didn't care. Yeah, I mean, yeah, diehard's like, what yeah. thirty five yeah, years old, so maybe it's okay to rip it off now because it's that old. But also, it was kind of an homage to Star Trek Three, right? When she's kicking 
uh, her opponent yeah, I thought in of the that. face, and she's like, you know, she should have just said, "I have had enough of you." I would have not minded at all. Like, if they, at least if it they wouldn't just... have been Die Hard. So. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> would have got me thinking about some other movie that was more appropriate. Dom pointed out about the badges. I forgot they were valuable that you could get trade them on the on the mercantile market. That's true. So you would be. Oh there. yeah, they were trading all kinds of yeah, badges yeah, there. Yeah, they love Starfleet badges. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the future is a Starfleet. We don't fan. need no stinking badges here. And it's a cool. It's a cool little character moment. It reminds you, like the regulators, how like they're like their greed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Michael just pinch the guy that eventually ended up stabbing her because she did not pinch him? Because there's a moment where he's face down and she leaps on him and wraps her legs around his neck. That is much more complicated than pinch. Do they have some kind of armor? <laughs> yeah, I saw, I thought he had like a a thing that might have. Yeah, see there in the oh, there's like this right. thing. Maybe that's preventing the pinch. Sure, I'll, maybe good enough. He, he does have like this big collar, around. and maybe right, they deal enough with Vulcans that that's the purpose for that. And maybe that you know, like <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, like, fair enough. I retract the complaint. Put on your put on your anti. And also, like collar. her Vulcan neck pinches aren't great. Like when she did it to Giorgio and the Stamets, they're both like awake again, like a few. Minutes she wouldn't later. have gotten stabbed in the leg. Let's be, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> it was she pinched him. Um, but I, it does look like there is some neck armor now that I can see the slideshow. Uh, Father is helpfully providing. Yes, um, it's very cool. I also thought I've always imagined that all these funny panels in starship corridors have like emergency spacesuits and engineering kits and fire extinguishers and medical kits hidden behind them. Uh, and the Next Generation Tech Manual says that is in fact the case, as mm-hmm. does Mister Scott's Guide to the Enterprise, a a less canonical source to be sure. And so I was very disappointed that Michael could not find a medical kit to save her, you know, save her uniform. You know how they have that little wrist gadget that, like, can generate... Well, no, she didn't have one of those. She she stole the phaser from the regulator, right? Uh, No, that's it's a Starfleet phaser phaser she's got, uh, the new Starfleet phaser. Yeah, that that little, like, wrist thing that, like, generates your phaser that they have. Like, you would think those could also, like, produce a, uh, a dermal regenerator. Yeah, almost I would, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking that, although, so the thing she was wearing is meant to hide her, but it's not going to stop the ship from registering that you're, like, taking out a med kit or something like that, right? Essentially, she... Well, she had she had that uh, regulator's regulator combat. Yeah. Or, or tri- I guess it's a tricom badge, because yeah. it pulls up the holographic interface. Yeah, yeah. So that's how, that's how Zara was able to figure out where she was. Because she was using that to uh, listen to where Stamets was. I suspect the security locks on the Jeffries tubes are more advanced than the security locks on the medical kits. Let's, as far as whether or not, oh, I can't open that or I'll, they'll know where I am. So. I can tell the, the 32nd century uh, comm badges and, and uh, the, the wrist things are going to be a little bit like cell phones where like when writers are going to need characters to not have assets too easily, they're yeah. going to have to write weird things. You know, there's interference, you know, the programmable matter can't work in the nebula and stuff like that. I expect we'll see a lot of those kind of things in the future. It's annoying how like every horror movie from the last 20 years, they have to explain why people like aren't just like on their phones, like calling for help. <laughs> Uh, true. I, I I also had the question: Why did she take the regulator's badge when she knew she was basically attaching a homing beacon to herself? That I mean, it might well at just... first at first she was using it to transport, but they have a transporter scrambler. Yeah. But she was using it to listen to their communications to find out where they were holding Stamets, and 
And she also uses it to like call her mom. Yeah, but to send, which I, that might pay off next week if the co-op Malat like show up well, to help well, out or something. This was also kind of done desperately and on the fly, right? She didn't like have time to plan plan this, right? Yeah, but picking up a homing beacon when you wear you went to the trouble of getting your little wrist arm thing that makes you invisible to sensors seems like an odd choice. And if she's trying to listen in, then why, when they're starting to do an overview of the status of the whole ship? She hangs up on it and uses it to call mom instead of listening in. I was like, that message could have had some really important stuff. And she just flips it off and start, calls mom uh, in the middle of it. So listening in is not a big priority for her. Well, she needs to set up the mom's uh, deus ex machina appearance with Vulcan ships next yeah. week. <laughs> and that did resonate. If you can call mom... Why not call Admiral Vance? Surely that would be more useful and, 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 you know, a variety of different things I could say about that. But it's pretty obvious. If you can call mom, why not call Vance? <laughs> so, I, I didn't quite get that. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to get a bunch of Vulcan ships who save the day next at week. But, but sorry, Vulcan, sorry Vulcan, I'm kind Romulan of here. Hybrid. Yeah, I think yeah, she sorry. called her mom because she thought it was like a, a mission where she was not going to come back from. That was my interpretation at the time of watching but yeah. you're absolutely it, right about all those things the way that, the way that she phrases it is kind of like that and it was interesting like this character who in season two who they very much establish is like very like secular minded person who doesn't really like like think much of, of of religion or like like hold like much value with that stuff uh i guess has like gone and seen like so much like weird stuff and like dead parents coming back <laughs> that she like tells her mom like you know maybe we could still meet in some far future hell maybe dad will be she's there. realized she's it, in it a tv show and nobody's ever really gone <laughs> <laughs> and anything can yeah. happen <laughs> um, any, anything else about uh about diehard burnham uh, it was great fun to watch it was well executed even if it, it felt a little tropey it was uh it was it was well done uh, i love these jeffrey's tube sets yeah they look cool we haven't yeah. we haven't seen these there, before. There, there are a little, oh. There's a bit of color to them, which uh, which kind of is surprising. You know, they could have been kind of black. Yes, it's not all like blue and silver, like everything else in Discovery. <laughs> like you actually see like a little bit of like yellow and blue and red oh, in the piping. Yeah, you're right. Huh. These reminded me more of the TOS era, ironically. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jeffrey's tubes, in a way. Yep. Yeah. Well, we can uh, we can move on to. I think what was was some of the neediest stuff in the episode, uh, the Osira negotiations with uh, Admiral Vance, uh, when when she beams aboard the uh, the headquarters and goes into the ready room with Vance, and they have the Doctor Eli hologram there as the uh, lie detector with a face. You know, Osira basically says like every empire has fallen. Why would ours be any different? I I really need to talk peace with you. I basically want to have my science r resources mass produce the spore drive but we need we need the branding of the federation we need like like that trustworthy like good brand of, of the federation <laughs> they have a uh the admiral has a little conversation with her about a uh, shit and apples that, that we can get into in, in, in more detail um but she busts out this this armistice and you know she tells them uh you know you can read this whole thing you can sign it and i think he might have been stalling because he knows something's going on on the Discovery at this point. They find one of the regulators floating in space. But yeah, he reads through the armistice and he's like, this actually is not bad. I really want peace with you, uh, but you can't be the figurehead. Someone else has to be in charge. She says, yeah, of course, I, I'm not going to be like the puppet master. That's when Eli is like, oh, she's lying about that. And he's like, you know what, Osira? Like, you're actually going to have to like face responsibility for what you've done. 
you know, like, like be the hero your people need, like fall on your sword, take one for the team, do this, and we can establish peace for both of our societies. But she's like, no, fuck you. That's not good enough. And storms off. So, so what do we think about this negotiation? I guess the goon squad that she brought was just more of that posturing thing that she needed. Or personal security. But they're all waiting out in the other room. If Vance wants to shoot her, he just pulls out a gun and shoots her. I mean, they're not... I know, but he doesn't. He doesn't bring. He doesn't bring his security team into the that yeah, room. Yeah. So why bother with the goon squad if they're not going to contribute anything? She's a showy. She's a showy bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just the same showiness that I have to hijack a ship and break into your place before we can have a conversation. So okay. I was just wondering if there was something I missed. I mean, if it's like, you know, Blackbeard the pirate put long burning matches in his beard and did crazy dramatic stuff in real life. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think sometimes people there, there is there is bravado and showmanship to uh, to leadership. And I think that that's a that's a big part of how she leads. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me like y'all don't do that. Y'all don't like show up with like a posse and like like before you walk in, like you talk to everyone, you're like, okay, like I'm gonna go in and like all y'all like come in behind me. What do you think? Like, don't say is, anything. What do you think text trek is, Father? <laughs> Only when I'm filming a fan film. <laughs> like yeah, she she look she would look weak if she just like showed up by herself. She instead she has like this posse, like these guys in like the the gimp masks. Uh, fucking like, yeah, they look like, like uh, they look like assassin ninja people too. <laughs> yeah, They're, they uh, they look like they look like they can uh, they can do some damage. Yeah. Um, do we trust Eli's capabilities as presented? Do we trust that he can tell the truth? He he was in the what the episode we we saw him in that previous episode, right? I uh, yeah. yeah the seed episode that I did. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a little bow tie man. She she asked some questions about him and, you know, the human face, and there was a little bit of sense of, like, her critiquing sort of a human or anthocentrism or, you know, however you would however you'd call it, human centrism uh, on him. On It seemed like uh, Vance was hiding some little thing, though. Has that been touched on before? Like, is there some reason to think there's a plot point to come with this guy, or is he just what he... I didn't think so. Well, I, I, I didn't think I, so. My assumption was his plot point is to show the audience that she's sincere so that we can move on and not spend the, have the audience spending all episode and all week wondering if she was telling the truth or not. We can just say, no, we have a piece of technology that says she's telling the truth. We used it. That, that's how this works. So now you can move on to yeah. worrying about other things in the story. And it didn't feel like magic. It, it didn't feel like magic plot convenience because they set this up earlier in the that's season. true. Now, at some point, she asked some question about him, and it just seemed like Vance, instead of just giving her an answer, kind of did a kind of like move on thing. I, I think you're imagining this, like the disappearing crewman in the in the corridor. I was that scene was weird. Yeah, the question did set up uh, some of the philosophical differences. Vance is about ideas, and she's about practicalities, and so and and physical you know, and much more tactile, uh, uh, physicalities. So for her, you want, for, for her, she's like, why don't you have it look like somebody trustworthy that everyone knows is, you know, Abraham Lincoln or something. And, uh, (laughs) um, and, and for him, he's like, no, we're what he's all about the ideas of these things. and doesn't need to have these, these more concrete visceral, physical symbols of stuff. And I thought that was, that's what I took that exchange to be about was setting up a little bit of their different ways of looking at life or the universe and everything. Dave, I, I was also suspicious of Vance uh, earlier in the season. And I had some of those same like observations, 
because he does these weird like kind of expressions i realize now it's just he's overstressed he's just very stressed out like he's a very stressed out person and i think that's what those it's just kind of that's just... like his exhaustion talking his kind right. of <laughs> yeah right like he he wakes up in the morning and he sees like 84 clusterfuck dumpster <laughs> fires like on his desk and he's like okay i might be able to address five of these we might be able to actually successfully like help two of them yeah he's got a little there's a little counter on this at the bottom of the screen on his desk showing number of people who died you know because we couldn't help them <laughs> clicking up all the time um speaking of uh dumpster fires um i i feel like although you know i don't know how much of it was intended i had, feel like it might have well have been in the back of their head uh this conversation certainly seems to at least reflect uh the uh the question of post-trump presidency prosecution um, yes. and uh and i like when they can do that while without making it a really heavy-handed allegory and uh you know like still be very well that's not gonna happen that's not gonna happen in real life that's more fantasy than anything that's gonna be in in (laughs) this tv show well but but you you take the you take the point though right fathery that this was probably intended to at least reflect it i don't know this was written like uh over a year ago i mean it may just broadly you know like that oftentimes when you do sort of stories about ideas they can they can apply to anything but uh but there is a question of like if you know uh you know, if this would be better for most of the people in the galaxy, would it be, you know, is it hubristic to not forgive? For, essentially, I mean, clearly war crimes. I had, a, I had some questions about what exactly is Vance wanting here? Emperor Georgia was never put on trial. There was mm. never a question of them locking her up for her crimes. Because Georgia is not trying to install a puppet into leading like this new joint federation emerald well, chain Well, but society. he's not just saying you... He's not just saying, Vance isn't just saying, you can't be in charge if we do this. Vance is saying, you might need to go to jail for us to do this. That's a whole nother level yeah. of, of there's not being in power. And He also tells her, like, I will, you know, make sure everyone remembers that yeah. you're, you're like, you know, doing this in like a self-sacrificial way. Like, 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 we'll, we will remember that, yeah. you know, like when, when trying you. I just want to say that Giorgio can't be tried legally. For crimes she committed in another universe. In another universe. Yeah, I was thinking that too. In the 32nd <laughs> century, they probably have laws that cover oh, that. Oh, good point. <laughs> yeah, good that's point, true. They've point. been through the temporal wars. That's yeah. true. Good point. Um, I do point. think that George Isle probably should have been tried for crimes. Uh, crimes, uh, But um, you know, at, at the very least, um, Vance inherited that you know pre-existing acceptance of her. And you know he it wasn't on his uh, placed on his feet to decide. She had a section 31 part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we looked it up. So, um, And what is Vance wanting? Because the Federation isn't going to... Does the Federation throw people in jail or do they have some sort... I was under the impression they had some sort of psychological rehabilitation program. We joked, we joked about this, but she'd probably... The most would happen is that, exactly. Like a rehabilitation and then house yeah. arrest and... But she would lose her authority. Right, that's, yeah. she would that's not what be, would happen. She would yeah. not be in control. Yeah. You know, like, that's his concern. It's like He's like, you know, like, given your history, how can... And he says that when he's like... 
we use the past as the light to shine on the future yeah. and you know decide what to do well that was like very cool very yeah. cool like starfleet morals and stuff and and yeah like he doesn't want her to be you know running the no, show and i get do, that like, this, but this... he focuses on this trial thing rather than just her not being in power and bringing it back to trump he's not in power whether or not he goes to j- uh, jail or not is a separate question i don't think he wanted to make it so personal as to say I want you stripped of power. He was yeah. trying to be diplomatic about, in his way of saying it. I, I'm going to put you on trial is his diplomatic way of saying it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's saying that you, you will be, uh, you will be legally examined. It's, 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 it's less, I think, abrupt than saying you'll be dethroned. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it is another way of saying it maybe, but yeah, it's a diplomatic way of saying basically you will no longer be the figurehead of the emerald chain and and your people. I guess it just feels very not diplomatic to put her to say we're okay. going to put you on trial. That just that, seems like that's not... fair. Like you you can think that. Uh, I mean, um, it's your opinion. Let's let's talk about like the shit and apples. But I really I really like that conversation because it's like yeah, like Starfleet. Like you know, we're going to make do with like what we have without committing atrocities and stuff. Yeah, I think he was finally getting annoyed at her when he... That was like a little bit of the uh, facade slipping where he's like, you're eating shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think he's showing that he can be hard too. And and he can he can mess with her. And she does. She's like pulling food out of her mouth. That's definitely a, a point <laughs> for him when you get the other guy to... <laughs> it's, it's kind of sad when, to hear him say like he's never ate a real apple. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like... Like, even with, like, this green woman from another planet in the far-flung future, that's, like, such a common... Like, everyone's ate an apple. (laughs) What would, uh... Not this admiral. What would Robert Picard say? I did find the whole exchange to be amazing, and and my opinion of Admiral Vance, like, tripled in this episode and during these scenes, specifically. He's the good moral. We've had so many bad morals. He's the good moral. I I still like him being a dad moral, too. It's very... Why do people say that? Why do people call him dad moral? He has dad vibes. Like, he just kind of gives off this... Does he? I don't know. (laughs) Dad to the galaxy. We were doing our uh, What We Want to See in some season of uh, Discovery. I think it was the second season, maybe? Season two, yeah. Season two or three, where we were saying that uh, I wanted to see, uh, you know, a Starfleet that wasn't compromised or was less compromised than they often do. Non non sinister Starfleet is the way I believe. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, hey, it came through. Yeah, finally, and the the thing that we've talked about a lot that I think Brian has done a good job bringing up is that you can't make the admiral be like the 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 perfect good guy because then he's just gonna like help your heroes and they don't have like any struggle if they have like oh yeah look our boss is gonna take care of all of this right so the admirals in star trek are often kind of confrontational or sometimes even the villain but a lot of times presented as obstacles um or presented as like kind of like incompetent and unable to to help here we can actually have like a strong good trustworthy likable admiral but because he is in command of a diminished fleet, he does not have the resources to solve the problems for our heroes. Right, his goals are sometimes at odds odds with theirs. Yeah, and they can't just call him up and ask him for advice because he's. if all the captains were doing that, he'd never get anything done. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think they, they've done a very good job. He's now, I think, my honestly, I think he's my favorite good admiral. 
uh, in the entire history of Star Trek. I mean, Ross was kind of cool, but but I mean, I guess you you can go Admiral Kirk. Okay, I like Admiral Kirk better, but we don't really Admiral see Janeway. Him. Well, you're not going to pick Admiral Janeway. No, I'm not going to pick Admiral Janeway. But uh, but you're, you, we don't see Admiral Kirk doing much admiraling, whereas Admiral Vance actually gets to admiral, and uh, and I think he does it better than any other admiral we've seen in Starfleet, as far as being a good guy mm-hmm. admiral. You could say, oh well, I love this evil admiral, and that's a different type of category (laughs) there's an interesting little uh buzz going on in the chat where alexandra sandu proposed that kovich might be the president i love all these kovich who is kovich uh (laughs) theories like it's very cool they mention a president they keep mentioning like the federation president so they are i don't know it it might be a cool reveal that they're setting up it would be cool it would be very uh amidala and queen amidala and padme wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) i I did like that they mentioned and acknowledged there was a president but then because sometimes yes star trek just makes it look like starfleet runs everything uh in the federation and it was nice to acknowledge that there is a civilian government out there but you know we care about admiral vance we don't care about this president we've never seen so we're gonna deal with the president some sort of final episode cliffhanger where it's like the reveal isn't that it's somebody we know from discovery so far but that it's some somebody we will recognize from trek history or exactly. it'd be hard to do a time traveler because it's in the 32nd century it's yeah. gonna be yeah. o'brien it's o'brien. gonna be william shatner and it will set up <laughs> yeah. something in the, basically in the next season you know some, uh, something that we will still follow through on or what if it's like a familiar alien race like what if it's like oh like a ferengi is like a oh. like the federation president i hope or that like whale that. probe that is the president <laughs> if it was the a whale. ferengi i would I'd, only vote for it <laughs> Just the, the world's, the, the, the galaxy's largest phallus is the president. <laughs> Admiral Vance suddenly turns and goes, wah, wah. <laughs> and like, it answers. Yeah, and he's like, he's like standing up straight and like spinning around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, uh, let's move on uh, to the, uh, the bridge crew and their captivity on the ship. The president is a whale, the- sorry. Yes, it's a cita- <laughs> cetacean. That would be amazing. All right, sir. Cetacean. Oh, yes. it's on lower decks. They're giving y'all Morse code. Uh, so that... Dave, Dave is giving us uh, Morse code, if you can see <laughs> yes. this. Uh, that's a good point, Dave. That's uh, that's a very valid uh, point. It's just to something to think about. But, but yeah, we, we, we get uh, Bryce and Reese sending uh, Morse code to each other and uh, kind of pissing off the the guards. It's, it's you know one of those scenes where like okay our heroes are in like a room full of heavies and they have to come up with something creative that isn't too trite to annoy audiences, but they have to like somehow like escape. So I, th- I thought I thought what the show did here is like pretty cool, where they do like the the trickery of, of pretending to do like some infighting, and then when the the guards have their guard down, uh, turn on them and and knock them out because it's a, a movie or a TV show where you just like punch people on the head one time and they go to sleep. Well, uh, Reese and Bryce actually, you know, do something, so that's always uh, always a plus. But then after they they regain uh, control of the of the ready room, uh, Tilly says, "Barricade that door. We're going out of this this back door on here." Uh, Ren the Endorian hacks the computers. He can scramble the sensors so that it looks like there's uh, thousands of of life signs on the ship, and they'll be able to move around undetected. Book tells Tilly, "I'm going to stay behind in the ready room because they're gonna they're gonna come in here to to check on us." And me and Ren will make our stand because I think that's the best we can do to help Michael. So everyone else escapes, and uh, Ren and Book make their stand in the in the ready room. What, what do y'all think about the stuff in the in the ready room? I I thought Tilly did a great job being captain. I I was I, I had nothing. No, you know she she 
she did everything she needed to. She she made hard choices. She she I I was I was quite impressed uh, with with the way she she took control uh, of the situation um, in a place where things are much more amorphous and it's not just well of course we do what she says because Saru told us to. It's it's much more of a well we're all locked in a room now uh, kind of thing. And I thought she did a really good job at that. Um, and I loved the whole tapping. What are you saying? What were you sending? I was telling him to keep tapping. I mean, and the way all of that <laughs> yeah. unfolded, the way the whole team worked together to 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 take him out. I I that whole thing was awesome. It was. Wh- and book was impressed by it, so he's continuing like his kind of like fanboyism of Starfleet. Yeah. You know, because he's never he's never seen Starfleet up close until he's met these people. So he's like, "Oh, this is like really yeah, cool." Yeah, you got to see him do something that was actually a little kind of scoundrelly in its way. You know, a uh, a little <laughs> bit more like how he's had to operate at times. I think he, you know, kind of figured, "Oh, these guys are not going to be so so good once they're captive." And then they kind of came through, and instant they saw that uh, the you know the guard was down. They they all kung fu'd the shit out of everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, again, uh, I like the uh, the bridge crew getting to kind of do their thing. Well, I'm guessing that the woman who plays uh, Lieutenant Nelson was unavailable when they shot these episodes because she's not here. But instead, they have like this this new face in the bridge crew. So I'm thinking like it must have just like happened to be like her rotation in the bridge, and it sucks for her because she gets captured. And so like all the rest of the Discovery crew got to like go on the shuttles <laughs> back to the Admiral. So it's like, I was like, oh yeah, it's like kind of like Dante and Clerks. Like I wasn't even supposed to work today. Type of thing. <laughs> the, the only other thing I have to comment on this stuff is I had noticed earlier this season in the ready room that there's like that back door by Saru's uh, desk. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I wonder where that goes. Because this room, is, like the, the front door that comes into it is the turbo lift. <laughs> like there's no like corridor connected to this. But they say there's like a maintenance shaft. So this is like some of that dotting the I's, crossing the T's. I had always assumed that that other door led to the bathroom like it did in Picard's ready room. The toilet and all of that. I No, I love that like in making this episode, like they took that into consideration about like how to how to escape from there. Mm-hmm. I thought Book and Ren staying behind to buy a minute or two of extra time was a horrible decision. Um, well, it ended up poorly for Ren. Yeah. But well, yeah. I mean, but besides <laughs> that, the best thing you can do is take away all the hostages from the bad guy, so that they have they can't just say surrender or I'll blow this person's head off. By having them stay behind and potentially be recaptured as they were, they have given some more hostages to the bad guys. Uh, if you want to keep, if you want, uh, and if you want to know something that will get Michael to surrender, it's a gun to Book's head. If Book is really worried about Michael, he'll make sure he doesn't get captured because that's the thing. If he's smart enough to have thought of that, but he probably didn't think of yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, did he, did he think that they might be able to shoot their way out of it? Like take out a small, small, uh, you know, uh, crew yeah. to take uh, that were sent to recapture them and then just move out into the to the corridors i i i yeah i i can't believe i'm saying this because like I, I i like i think it's weird to like frame star trek as a role-playing game <laughs> but uh, be, because i because i know that like that, that's like important to you brian <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll say it to this is like what if you had like two characters who who felt confident they could like stay behind and 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 help by uh, fighting off these guards and they choose to do that and then in retrospect only in retrospect do they realize it was a mistake 
I I would have said set up an ambush somewhere where they're not expecting. Don't be right where their guns are going to be pointed. You hit them where they ain't, uh, not where they're ready for you. Um, is I guess would be my response to that idea. If you want to go toe to toe and try to attack them, okay, but but do it smart. Don't don't sit in front of the bullseye at the end of the at the end of the firing range and do it. I I just think. It's the most tragic thing what happens to Rin. I wish they had done more hackery stuff and that he was able to do some more computer <laughs> confoundery. Yeah. And, it it and hurt the, me, yeah. too, to see that. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that when we get to it. Uh, but what else you got, Brian, about this? Or was that, was um, that I mean, it, it was big and valiant, but I didn't... Like, I, I guess the way... If I'd wanted that to happen, I would have had the bad guys coming through the door as Tilly was leaving. So that there's... They really do need... Even 30 seconds mm. will make all the difference in the world. So, it, I, you know, if that's with the way they wanted this ending to go, they should have written it that way. I, I agree with yeah. you. That would have been that would have been the better way yeah. to do it. And it could have been all dramatic. <laughs> no, I would need you to come. No, I'm staying behind. You know, bah, go. Yeah, the book would be like, no, like, like Michael needs you out there and you need me in yeah. here. Now go yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. See, we could have we could have wrote this. They should let us give up. Get out of here, you tosser. <laughs> uh, uh, anything else in the ready room or should we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. Carry on. Okay. So this is uh, another uh, really good meaty part of the episode is the Aurelio and Stamets. So let me just go over this real quick and then we can talk about it. But yeah, Aurelio like takes Stamets out of the uh, brain control crown and, and has a conversation with them. They talk about opera. They talk about their children. Um, and they talk about uh, Osira. And we kind of get to see uh, Aurelio's like morals. And, and he's also like a complex character. Great to see Kenneth Mitchell back in action. And while they're having like this conversation, they explain some of the science going on here about the spore drive can't be duplicated because of, of Stamets. He's the only one with the tardigrade DNA. And he, Stamets thinks it would kill him to extract the DNA to make more. Aurelio thinks that they have a safe way to do it. And Stamets, like, really kind of, like, questions are really about, like, uh, you know, like, the morals of Osira and, like, how can you uh, be behind this and stuff like that. And Aurelio tells his backstory about how he was a, uh, a kid at 10 years old who was about to die from a genetic condition. Things that parallel Kenneth Mitchell's uh, real-life medical conditions with, with uh, Lou Gehrig's uh, ALS, yeah. very closely. Or, um you know, obviously written for him, but yeah, and this is also you know kind of an attack on capitalism. Like, like yeah, look at like terrible shit when like you don't give people access to healthcare. You know, hashtag force the vote. But uh, yeah, so so we get like that that backstory about like why he is loyal to her and and see things from his perspective. What do y'all think about the Aurelio and Stamet stuff? I just want to say that Kenneth Mitchell is a very handsome uh, individual. But it was nice to see Ken- Kenneth Mitchell. I call him a darling. He's one of, he and um, Noah Averbakats have, I think, become quickly become darlings in the Star Trek fandom or Star Trek community. Um, they're very generous with their time with fans. And they're just like, you know, they're, they're both really amazing. Uh, Noah Averbakats uh, actually uh, uh, campaigns for um, another serious problem, which is uh, for diabetes, for for insulin. So I just love that both of these actors are are in Star Trek, and they're both great as character actors. So I expect to see Noah come back. Like, we'll talk about that more later, but I expect to see him come back in future seasons. But this was a nice gift, I think, to Kenneth Mitchell. I think this was a really beautiful thing to do for someone who's that important to the Star Trek community. 
I was just gonna add like insulin being like another thing where capitalism's the bad yeah. guy. Like like yeah. to uh, to restrict that from the people who need it unless they can pay the price unless they can like prove their use to society is very like emerald chain morals and uh this episode frames that stuff as, as being bad and my usual uh pitch for the for the ready room uh jonathan frakes does a really good interview um on on this week's episode and he talks uh somewhat at length about these sequences and so there's some more behind some some cool behind the scenes stuff about it and He's obviously, uh, Frakes is, um, I, I don't know, he, he really seems just like a warm, personable, smart guy all around who who, who was very cognizant of, of the fact that this actor was, you know, talking about something, you know, things, you know, portraying a character who would be saying some very personal things to his real life and, and, and that they, they, yeah. they were, you know, really felt lucky to have, to have gotten that. Yeah. And as a director who has often been referred to as very much an actor's director, I mean, like, he started off as an actor, he is able to consistently get, like, these really good yeah. performances. There's more of this coming up in a little bit with, with Sonequa Martin-Green and Anthony Rapp yeah. that I, was actually my favorite thing to watch mm -hmm. in, in this entire episode. Uh, but, but yeah, like, even here, just, like, this monologue uh, of just, like, you know, just, like, these two men sitting in a room talking to each other was, was some of the most riveting stuff. Well, that I've, yeah, there was a, I've, uh, I've Aurelio seen. did this kind of cool thing where, like, he was kind of not listening. He was just sort of moving on the conversation and not listening to what Stamets was saying at times. He clearly yeah. not wanting to hear some of what he was being forced to hear. He turns his back. Yeah. He turns the wheelchair around and I moves actually, away. It, it kind of, because of him and because of what they did with um, oh, Osira, I actually was like, oh, you know what? I kind of want to read like a Star Trek book or something now that's like about, you know, sort of the heyday of the two of them working together and, you know, see see them operating. Uh, yeah, she calls them. him my old friend. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. stuff like that. And also she's very protective of what he experiences. Like he, she wants his reality to be that reality that he's talking to Stamets about. Like, hey, she's trying to liberate us from dilithium by bringing the sport. I mean, like he's just like petitioning for her. And I thought another interesting thing is like um, Admiral Vance does not dispute that the Emerald Chain has the most uh, like the best science research out there. And that made me kind of sad that the Federation isn't known for the best science. I was wondering, and, is and that research. the first time we'd yeah. heard that? Had anything been mentioned? That's the, the first time we heard that. I, yeah, yeah. It was the very this, first this time, the we first heard time that. they brought it up. But it was surprising to me. And that was very kind of interesting as well, even though they're using their science for nefarious purposes, obviously, because he didn't even know that the pesticide he created was being used to cause the extinction of another species. You know, so I thought this was very interesting stuff. Very, I, very I can well totally done. see a Starfleet that doesn't have enough ships to save everyone they could and want to save deprioritizing the science side. Of hey, what's that saying devoting... about, what's that saying about our country, right? Like there's so many good deep things there. You know, we've been deprioritizing education here and science yeah. for a long time. Yeah, but here they're doing it to save lives. So, you know, that's a little different than, you know, making rich people richer. That's a, a that's a This is true. I, look at this. Well, look arguably, this if, if the Emerald Chain is, uh, is capitalism somewhat writ large, or uh, then it's showing that it's not that capitalism cannot uh, uh, funnel or, you know, create great science, but uh, there's a cost. And the, yeah. that's what they're... And you also... You... You see, him, like, his defense of the Emerald Chain in a way that I think parallels a lot of, like, real-world stuff. Like, I know, like, some of the most, like, patriotic people that I've ever met are, like, immigrants who've, like, immigrated to America. And, like, they, they're they so thankful to America for, like, giving them an opportunity 
that sometimes they they kind of uh, resist criticisms of like our country. Just saying this like as an American who's had this experience, you know, a lot of times you'll meet like people who you know they're thankful to their society to the point to where they're dismissive of, of criticisms. They don't want to face that more nuanced situation of like, oh, actually, like this country does like a lot of harm, and even though it worked out good for me. Or, or my family it's also like really hurt a bunch of other people and it you know things are more complicated and that's kind of like here where it's like yeah like you were saved you know good for you you you, you were gonna die at 10 years old and osiris stopped that only because you were a smart guy and had like you know some use to serve to her and that's the only reason why yeah, you were saved something and, and like that type of... she saw a spark in me or whatever and i'm like oh that you can even hear like although he might not have been aware of it that there was this sort of mercenary assessment of his usefulness perhaps yeah <laughs> or maybe yeah. just a moment of pity too but then that is why healthcare should not be commodified uh i thought it was a really strong scene and uh, honestly his um his willful obtuseness uh it was you know uh what was was felt completely realistic <laughs> uh. it's it's also interesting that Stamets says he's a fan of opera now, because, you know, that was a thing with, like, him and yeah. Hugh, like, a Cillian opera. Yeah. And and also the the fact that, like, he refers to Adira as his kid. Yeah. And, you know, part of that was probably, he was using that to get into Aurelio's head. You know, he's like, oh, I see your, uh, I see your Orion branding behind your ear. You must have a, an Orion partner and an Orion children. Well, that but was he's a question I had. I think How he's much... admitting here that, that he sees Adira as his uh, ward or his child, you know, which is really interesting. I, I do wonder how much of what my uh, Stamets says in this scene, uh, these scenes, is uh, is entirely about saying the right thing to get under his skin and to get him and to basically sway him to their his side. Uh, is that why he doesn't go into right. the complexity of Adira? I, I don't think he's out necessarily outright lying, but he says, for example, that rip the Rippers are de are extinct. It, it, has that been stated anywhere before this? No, but that might be a conclusion they've drawn to if, like, they haven't, like, ran across any in centuries. Well, they they might be, I like... Mean, Picard never met a Ripper. Cisco never met a Ripper. It doesn't it seem too It seems like they were already rare uh, by the time of Discovery, and it just... Yeah. It's lucky that Stamets got the DNA. They they clearly never watched that cartoon short track yeah. with the, uh... Was it Ephraim and Dot? Yes. Yeah. Um, see, because I was wondering if that was just a lie to to keep them from from following that lead up to get spore drive, because Stamets doesn't want these bad guys having spore drive, so he's going to give them some false information that that keep sends them on the you know focuses them where he wants them focused. Uh, or was it the truth? But it's a big truth that we've never heard in the show before, and he delivers it in kind of an iffy circumstance where it's hard to know if he's being completely honest. So I was wondering what. But as far as like the Adira thing, like setting that up here was essential to making the dramatic scenes hit harder yeah. in what what follows. Because yeah. we've already had time to like, oh, he he thinks of Adira as a kid. Yeah. We're already like processing that. So then later, when he's like, "My whole life is in that nebula," yeah. like we're already like on board yeah. with it by that point. Yeah. It was very well written. Yeah. I, I think this is a very well written episode by um, Kenneth, Kenneth Lynn. Lynn. Yeah. This is only like his second Star Trek episode. The other one he co-wrote. Uh, so like Kenneth Lynn, props to you. Yeah. I, I I really enjoyed both the writing and the directing from Frakes. Both are top notch. Agreed. Um, as a side note, he mentions you'll probably have to kill me to get my DNA. I'm like, dude, you, you 
you, it's right there. You just take some blood or <laughs> some stomach lining, like they did in that Picard or that 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 clone episode in season two of TNG. Whatever. There's lots of ways they could get some of this DNA without killing you. You're being melodramatic. It's complicated mycelial. Uh, other dimensional stuff. It's only the DNA in the heart of my brain. That's the only place that has tardigrade DNA. You have to cut into my brain. To hey, get we to don't it. know how alien DNA works. We don't know how this, this I, alien DNA works. I have a works. question because I found one thing that was a little bit hard for me to believe as as uh, just like someone who's immersed themselves into the Star Trek like kind of world, if you will. Um, he talks about the discovery era technology is like the glory days or the, you know, like the, the, golden, the golden age, age of science. science. And I think that like, how can it be that 900 in the 900 years before the, like, how could it be that before the burn, yeah. there wasn't like a better golden age than the discovery? Like, shouldn't like, that have been the 29th yeah, century when the relativity could just could beam seven of nine to any right. point in, of space and time. Right. So well, that, it was just like a wave of a hand. It, 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 was that's, it Aurelio that's one, who said that? That yeah, it was Aurelio who said yes. that. And I, I get it. He's like, I, I just don't think the spore drive is the most marvelous thing we've even seen in Star Trek. Like, it, it just seems like, you know, maybe it is. Okay, I mean, I, that could be fair, but... <laughs> I have a feeling that, like, history may not be the the biggest, the most studied thing in the kind of, the, the difficult times after the burn. And, yeah, and also, I mean, that's it, fair. It seems clear that but Aurelio is being... His, his focus is being a little bit directed, probably, by um, Osira... So that, uh, you know, he, he may be getting a rather incomplete view of history. It's possible. Yeah, That's I mean, true. I think if we found, like, this really miraculous invention from, like, the Renaissance era. We wouldn't call even it though, the like, Well, yeah, in the 1800s. <laughs> in, like, the 1800s, they had, like, steamboats and shit. But, like, I could still see, like, oh, yeah, like, the Renaissance, like, this golden age of, like, science and discovery and all right. that. Right, there's a little so bit I, of a mythology. I, or, I, and, I see or, like, what you're saying and, now. Uh, yeah, he's mytholo mythologizing. Yeah, we, we invest him with a romance. You know, the Renaissance. Maybe yeah. he's talking about Yeah, he's romanticizing. About it. Maybe he is talking about it in terms of, like, it because they knew so much less, there was a wilder sort <laughs> of, like, you know, spirit of science where they didn't think things were impossible as much as they do maybe in in a time where they know more about how the universe works. I'm not going to say it was intentional, but it does kind of work as a character thing because we already know that this guy is willing to kind of be dishonest with himself and, and choose to look at things and like whatever, whatever framing is like the most peaceful or most comfortable for him, mm. for his values or his perspective. And he's, and so, yeah, maybe he is doing that same time. The same way that he kind of romanticizes Osira and the Emerald Chain. Perhaps he does the same for the, the quote-unquote golden age of science. But uh, unless there's anything else, I'd like to move on to the, the ending stuff that, that wraps up the episode. Right on. Yeah, a, a few different moments here. You know, one with, with Burnham and Stamets. She comes into engineering, knocks out all of the Emerald Chain guys, uh, only stuns them, so Aurelio is still around, rescues Stamets, and Stamets is like, okay, I'm going to load up these spores. We're going to go rescue Hugh. We're going to go rescue uh, Saru and Adira. And and and, and Burnham's like, no, what are you doing? I have to get you off the ship. And he's like, oh, oh come on. Like, uh, you know, like I, I have to go after them. You know, think about think about uh, Adira, Adira if we lost Hugh. And that's when Burnham's like, no, Adira is there. And he's like, like what? Adira is there? And he's begging with her. It was, I, I really enjoyed watching these scenes. And she ends up having to Vulcan nerve pinch him knock him out and Sonequa Martin Green plays all of this like it's so painful for her to do this to him 
She puts him in this emergency force field capsule and sets her phaser to overload, blowing a, a hole in, in the hole to eject Stamet so that the HQ can rescue him. Meanwhile, Ren and Book fight off some regulators, but eventually are captured and brought to the bridge where Osira asks Ren to, you know, stop scrambling the sensors so that they can find the bridge crew. He refuses to help her. He, he stands up to her. And uh, Book is like, 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 hold on, like, like, don't kill Ren, spare him. I can tell you where this whole dilithium planet is. I'm, I'm the one who knows, like, how to spore jump into the nebula and get to it. Uh, but Osira uh, is, is so pissed off that she kills Ren anyways. Upsets Book, upsets Aurelio, and she tells Aurelio to get some truth serum ready for Booker. And then last but not least, the bridge crew uh, knocks some more dudes out and get to the, the armory. They mount up with their weapons. Tilly says, grab as many weapons as you can. We got to take our bridge back. If someone falls, leave them behind. Keep going. We must do this. And then they're approached by, what could it be? The Dot 23s <laughs> uh, playing Buster Keaton. And so, yeah, this is the, the sphere data. Uh, Zora is here to help. And that's the end of the episode. Um, so what do y'all think about this ending stuff? I guess it's more of only Michael gets to decide whether uh, to weigh the balance between the good of the many and the good of the few. And anyone else who tries to do it, Michael, you know, makes sure that she gets her way. I mean, Stamets basically accuses her of something. I think a lot of th that sentiment was so powerful in a way, because in a way we all have been thinking like these people followed Burnham. Like ultimately it's Burnham. They put their faith in Burnham and that she was right and that Spock was right about the all sentient life thing and that the this was the only course of action and and like so it must feel like the ultimate betrayal to Stamets when Burnham is totally you know not listening to him and his needs he doesn't want to I mean it, the the stakes make sense like he doesn't want to lose he's already lost Hugh like once before. There's no way you're gonna get a second mm -hmm. chance to resurrect someone from a death, right? Like it's that would be like a yeah, way, only one resurrection. Yeah, like that would be really crazy. Listen, people named Hugh don't get to live in Star Trek. <laughs> and and I can and I can tell you, it's so true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> very good. Uh, but 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 then she's right though the federation's what's at stake and that's more important than all of that you know what i mean like ultimately well, like, this she is like is, it's like the yeah, end of like... city on the edge of forever um somebody's got to make a choice as to whether uh, edith keeler lives or dies yeah yeah it's just yeah. that yeah. we've earlier in this series we've seen michael quite happily throw away the good of the many to 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 take care of the good of the few and here she's deciding that no no here the good of the many is more important than the good of the few and right. i was like nobody else is allowed to make that decision in this show even when saru's tries to michael overrides him um and <laughs> says no no this is what we're gonna the, do um, it's it's a that's very something of the a, asset of uh, being the lead character not only that <laughs> i think also i have a little i have something to throw in that maybe would make sense she did she was raised on vulcan it's a very vulcan trait to do that vulcans are always yeah. inserting the good of the many into the conversation they're very they're pragmatic very, and, but they're also always like high and superior over humans and others you know like the original script of city on the edge of forever yeah. had it that spock had yeah. to 
I'm not so much complaining because it's very consistent that she just sort of takes charge and makes sure that what she thinks should happen should happen. That is her flaw, her fatal flaw for sure. But but it is. Which is why she's going to take charge of the ship and become captain next week, I think. They might as well, just because she's going to do whatever she's going to do anyway. It's looking more likely. Yeah, it's looking more likely. I I got goosebumps at Dom Paris's uh, follow-up earlier to the Clabouderman because... Uh, he says they are now appearing. The Zora is now appearing as uh, the little, you know, the robots, and it's uh, so Zora being Clabouterman. Cl- they are now appearing as this creature of diminutive size with tools. Clabouterman usually appear as small sailors oh. carrying a hammer. So oh. very, very cool. Oh, nice. uh, you need to write a thesis. Uh, to... <laughs> 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 like, it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very very cool, very smart observations, Dom. Uh, thank you for uh, for hanging out and sharing that with us. Can tonight. I also toot his horn and say that he was the very first person I heard about the Guardian of Forever idea from, and it happened. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> nice, nice. The moment when when Stamets is like like crying and and like like Culver has like her her hands on him like. Like, like trying to like like get him like come to his senses or at least like come to like a- agreement with her of why she's not going to let him do this. Uh, I I I don't know if this was Jonathan Frakes's idea or what, but sh- from her bloody thigh, she has like blood on her hand. When Stamets is like like begging her and like telling her like like, like no like I have to go save them like don't let them die. And so you you kind of it, it, it kind of uh, symbolizes that guilt that she's feeling yeah. because the whole time Sonequa Martin Green plays this is like yeah. it's as painful for her as it is for Stan. Yeah, I really like the way that w- when she Vulcan nerve pinches him and he kind of collapses and he has that sort of almost corpse like face and she takes him into her arms like uh, like catching him but it kind of becomes this almost maternal embrace as she's you know clearly feeling all the the guilt of of the moment yeah it was it was very well done um and very emotional uh and and i do wonder i mean i think they've already we already know most of these actors are coming that are stuck in that nebula are coming back next season right so we're 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 not they're not actually gonna die um but do we how long will it take stamets to forgive michael for this i Mm. wonder and I, and I'm also on the edge of my seat because I I need to know how they're I yeah I know that they're going to be safe but I need to know how I need yeah. I need to see them I need to figure out how they're being rescued the fact that we don't see the Veruban Nebula stuff this entire episode yeah. uh, like I I I think that was a, a brilliant choice yeah. because it makes me so nervous I'm so I'm so concerned about them because I'm not seeing what's going on so are they just like 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 in hideous pain like like. <laughs> having like their their flesh burnt away that's or a what? tarantino move to set up somebody in a very dangerous situation and then have the camera just like leave them for a few minutes while you know something terrible is occurring uh, big <laughs> no. rains in pulp fiction being the ultimate example but there's mm. there's lots of others in- inglorious bastards yeah, yeah the inglorious bastards does it brilliantly in the first five yeah. minutes um it, and also like getting to see the actors like dial it up to 11 you know like like the death of your family yeah that's a thing where you just like throw nuance out the yeah. window like you no know, like like yeah like you're screaming you're crying like like creating the situation where like the drama can just like 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 go to like the highest peak uh was, was very rewarding i love stuff Stamets like this. has done the math in his head and he feels like there's time like he thinks they can jump there yeah get them back is he being back. honest no though? i know it be, won't I, I agree with you but that's what i'm saying like he's so convinced and i love that he's fighting so hard for this and and it's exactly what i would do if my significant other yeah were there i wouldn't have any 
care about like what actually was going on. I'd try to make I try to make sense of it in a way that like you know that helped me to get my goal. So it's it's a genius genius job of the writing and also the performance as well. I did like the mechanics of the rescue as well from a just a technical nuts and bolts plot level. I yeah. really like the oh we can't use the airlock so I'm just gonna blow out a window and and yeah. we're gonna put this little emergency escape it, pod thing. It genuinely on it. feels like they put a lot of thought into the, like the writing yes. on this one. Yes, I, I really and discovery it. doesn't always feel that way. So I, yeah, I it's a, it's a joy to Father, see. you mentioned the uh, the largeness of uh, the, like the the really ex- extreme emotions here, and uh, uh, Frakes told a cool story about that on the Ready Room where he said that their initial he had them go very large with it initially, uh, and then do subsequent takes where he reined it. They reined in like what had been even bigger, sort of more dramatic performances, but that in doing it that way and not, you can't, he said, you basically can't go the other way. You can't start small and make it big. You have to start big and make it small. And, uh, that, uh, there was still like elements of that really extreme performances that informed their portrayals. So you got these, uh, like really dramatic scenes with like, that were on the cusp of like breakdowns and stuff. Uh, anyway, it was just one of those things where I was like, Oh wow. You know, there's, there's so much going on that I don't always think of as far as what directors do to, to bring out the actors in a, in a scene. And uh, uh, it was just really cool to hear that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, no I, I enjoyed hearing that too. Stamets gets sucked out the window and then the camera does that close up on, on Michael's face. And my immediate thought was, uh, dude, you just blew up a phaser. Every, all the bad guys are coming right here. I literally quoted uh, our favorite Christo- our favorite Christopher Lloyd Klingon and said, "Get out! Get out of there!" <laughs> and then this gun sticks in her head, and I was like, "You dummy!" <laughs> but I get it. She's stressed out. She thinks. I was going to say, yeah, we the viewers are always a little detached, and uh, <laughs> you know these characters that are in the midst of all this uh, emotion and angst and, and adrenaline. I don't think you're operating it at a hundred percent mentally. Yeah, yeah, no, fair. It, it's yeah, it's very different. I'm sure I'd be a gibbering wreck in that situation. <laughs> but I do like the idea, by the way, of like a Christopher Lloyd, kind of like Statler and Waldorf and the Muppets, kind of heckling. Uh, or MS, oh yeah, he's like watching in the balcony style. Yeah, every, everything needs to have like a Christopher Lloyd commentary oh right now. Um, what, what do y'all think about the death of, of Rin and now Osiris coming for the dilithium planet? Um, it's a big plot element. I don't know how much time they're going to have to develop it in the last 50 minutes they've gotten this season. So, <laughs> uh, given that they have so many other things to resolve, is she really going to have time to do more than just kind of express an interest in it? Especially without Stamets, because it's going to take her... She's got to fly back through the either take a small ship through the crazy subspace tunnel, uh, or take a big ship and do the slow the the, the usual warp thing. Uh, maybe she can take the big ship through the tunnel. I don't know. The Viridian was able to go through the dangerous okay. transport either way because that's how she got to the nebula last. Yeah. Week. I want to see how the Viridian got through all that debris. Yeah, <laughs> I just like that's some impressive crap right there. I um I wanted Rin, a good pilot. I wanted Rin to stay on with the crew somehow and survive. Um, but I, 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 I thought too. that it was a reasonable upping of the dramatic stakes uh, that was important for Aurelia's or what's his is that his name? Uh, for his uh for his character to to to, to see. Yeah. Uh, they're set, they're setting up Aurelio's redemption. Yeah. Or, or his his betrayal, I guess. Of Osiris. Maybe so. Yeah. And also, like, I like that. 
that Ren saved Book's life uh, a, a few episodes ago. Yeah. And and so here, like, Book is like, I'm going to return the favor and save him. He doesn't get but it. But it's like, like no, like, you don't you don't get to save him. And, and David Ajawa oh. plays that, like, the, the tragedy of that so well. Like, it's gut-wrenching. They had such a... What, what's, what, what disheartens me about this is, like, not just the fact that the performer is, is great and, and all the fun behind it and everything like that. But, uh, they, they had that buddy film vibe going on where it was starting to, I could start to see like book and Rin on adventures, right? Like going off yes. on side adventures and having, I short would have liked to and, have seen that too, like, but yeah, yeah, it would have been really nice. And then I actually, I know this is cheesy, but because they're married in real life, I would have liked it if Rin and Tilly got together and had a romance. <laughs> and I had all these hopes for the character. Or at and... least got stuck in a turbo lift together for <laughs> yeah, a, a few minutes. Yeah. You know, so... So they, they, had, like they had that moment together. They had that moment together a few episodes ago, and that was enough I had, for me. I had so many but, hopes. Yeah, they, they, they clearly have chemistry. I had so many hopes for this character. So this one hurt the most. Like, they killed Cal, who was cool. Uh, this season they you know they've had like a, a few a few of uh well that's it right is that the only other like kind of character that's interesting i thought for myself but then rin came along and i was like all about rin i loved rin so now my new hashtag is revenge for rin uh so just in case <laughs> you guys want to use the same hashtag feel free to use i'll get it. on board that <laughs> thank you <laughs> they are just not gonna let a uh, an andorian into the cast are they <laughs> uh, yeah we all wanted shran to become a regular on enterprise and that never That's happened true. so uh, i now i have this well, horrible what's, what's, feeling what's this? that the reason he had no antenna was because people thought they looked silly so they had them amputated so they would have him a silly looking character on their show now i have this deep dark suspicion that that's what was going on with that is they wanted to make him look less silly uh which annoys me because i'd like to see andorians more yeah often, they don't so. look silly in enterprise they look pretty rad with the animatronics yeah. and all that stuff yeah. you know i thought they did a good job but uh it is yeah. sad that he never even got to grow them back he didn't last long enough yeah well, Zara didn't get to grow his hand back from the parasitic frost. Yeah, PJ. So what are you gonna do? PJ I like made that it a good sounds, point it about like that. you're like looking out for him, Father. Like you're, <laughs> you're. Um... They should at least have prosthetics, like a Luke I, hand. I, right? We don't like... know how that parasitic ice works. Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of a weird thing to be critical of. Like, maybe you can't regenerate. My, my assumption like, really dangerous alien is that the hand you know, had like... died. <laughs> And then he was injected with nanotech that is slowly rebuilding the hand. And oh, he just has to wait a few days and it will be fully functional again with the super 20, 30 second century nanotech. It, nanites. It reminds nanites, me of, that's the word. It reminds me of last week when people were complaining about like, oh, so you just like touch the discovery. You, like another ship just touches it and it can spore jump too. And I'm like, no, why do you think like smart people that I like that yeah. talk about Star Trek were say that? I'm like, no, like, no, why would you assume that? Like, I'm sure there was uh, complications that went along yeah. with that. And then this episode a week later confirms it, where they're like, oh, the 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 Viridian spore jumped in with the Discovery. Osiris must have found a way to compromise the you know mycelial interface or whatever they techno ballot. But yeah, like she has science people who work on yeah. this type of stuff. But anything on the dot twenty three is before we uh before we finish the episode and go into the gore. I've been wanting spore data to or sphere sphere data to do some kick ass stuff, and I've loved what the little things I've bit seen of it. So I'm glad yeah. we're gonna get some more sphere data. You know, being big and doing stuff. I, I I'm excited about that. I, I love the idea of that. Uh, and the clo- the club outerman two years ago, right? Yeah, the club outerman. When, when did when did Calypso come out? That was that was twenty. 
18? Was that the first appearance of the dot sevens? Oh, no, the, Zora. The, the, You're saying of, Zora. Of Zora. Okay, gotcha. Zora. Yeah. So it, they've, they've, you know, set it up a long time ago. So it's just now coming to fruition. You know that old trope in Bond movies from, from the day, that old days where like at the end, all the, uh, all the, you know, agents would rappel down from the ceiling for a big battle with all the specter agents. And it's just not going to be mm-hmm. as cool if it's like essentially a bunch of cute robots doing it. But um, <laughs> we'll see. Honestly, it could be as somebody who loves Doctor Who, seeing a bunch of cute robots do it could be amazing. But so. I do, I do think they remind me of the batteries not included uh, <laughs> uh, alien a little bit. But uh, I loved that yeah, movie as a kid. A yeah, movie. I really loved that. Uh, I, I I know you'll talk about it in the Gornex probably, but I love the division colors on their eyes. That was cool, and I like that the uh, Zora intelligence is in, it has like. Place, nested itself into these dots 20 yep. degrees it's cool. and i'm not sure if it counts as like the vulcan hand jive but they're oh, kind of yeah, doing it they're kind of it doing looks like it. Their, their hands are only three, <laughs> three digits, digits so that, might, that might just be them waving yeah yeah for all i know i'm sure well i'm sure like the animators or either the animators or the design people probably thought about oh if we give it a three-digit hand it'll do the vulcan hand <laughs> drive or no, and ephraim and dot this is actually a gornag i forgot about ephraim and dot doesn't it does the hand oh, drive it's already great there you go. Remember? But yeah, I, I, I don't think we have much to really comment on like whether application will be. That's just a, kind of a cliffhanger for the finale next week. If there's nothing else, I'll just go ahead and run through the Gorn eggs. Do it. Okay, well, um, starting off uh, from the top, these are just all of the continuity connections, Easter eggs, and end jokes that I found within the episode. If I miss any, uh, be sure to uh, let me know, but uh, starting off, uh, the uh, woman regulator that we see working for, Osira and Zara, is actually the same species that we saw in Children of oh. Mars. Uh, Kima, the little girl that uh, her mom worked on Mars, and they would wiggle their tongues to each other in like this <laughs> the very weird uh, uh, sequence in, in Children of Mars, or at least weird to me. But yeah, that's the same, same uh, species. We don't have a name for that species yet. On the Orion computers, there is Orion script. We've first seen Orion written language way back in Star Trek Enterprise in the episode Borderland. Admiral Vance refers to Osira's trap as as they they lured us in like a Altarian spider. The Altarian thing has been mentioned a lot in Star Trek, but it originally came from the episode A Mock Time when Altar 4 was the destination of the Enterprise and they Chekhov has that, that funny sequence with Sule where he talks about like, oh, like we're going to Altar 4 and then we're going to Vulcan. And then we're going back to Altar 4 and then we're going to Vulcan. Like the captain won't make up his mind. It's a very like lower decks kind of a moment from, from early, early in, in Star Trek. The ship that they have a hard time getting around in the Transwarp Corridor is a Wanderer class ship, which is a, a very, very deep cut. But the a Wanderer class actually comes from the FASA role-playing game. Oh. And it was kind of canonified back in early Next Generation. Oh, Mike Okuda shit. took nice. took it and and put it on a on a view screen in 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 TNG. But but the Wanderer class in the game, I think it was actually an Orion ship. Yeah. Mm. No, it is an Orion ship. I, I've used them in my games. It was years and years ago. But yes, <laughs> that's nutty. Look I, at that. I, that is a deep cut. Wow, <laughs> nice book. Book also mentions that this tactic of getting into Starfleet HQ is similar to something 
that Osira had do- done at uh, Benthos 4. In the Star Trek Voyager episode vis-a-vis, that's the one where there's like that alien who keeps like hopping from body to body and eventually like takes over Tom Paris's body. Oh, yeah. When he, when he first shows up as Steph, the character Steph that's at the right. beginning of that episode, he says that he's from the, the fourth planet of the, the Benthos system. Nice, fathery. And of course, uh, having Kenneth Mitchell back on Star Trek Discovery, he has played uh, three characters previously in Discovery. The Klingon Cole, the Klingon Cole Shaw, and the Klingon Tanavik. And uh, I should mention that he was also uh, played three characters in Star Trek Lower Decks. So he's actually played seven characters in Star Trek in, in a very short period of time, just since 2017. Well, that's, that's super cool. The phaser being set to overload, that's an old trick that was first set up in Star Trek in the episode The Conscience of the King, when someone tries to assassinate Captain Kirk with a phaser hidden in his quarters set to overload. Awful but awesome noise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was was fun. Can I just say, there's the the thing about the phaser, real quick, that there's in the ready room, there's a cool sequence where they talk about the props, and uh, it was fun to find out the nickname for that phaser was the Great White Shark. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because in Star Trek Nemesis, they have the dolphin, right. so now we have the great white <laughs> shark. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit meaner. <laughs> the dot .23s at the end of the episode that are under control of the sphere data are speaking in the voice of actress Annabelle Wallace. For, it is the second time we've heard her this season, and that is who played Zora back in the Short Treks episode, Calypso. The final Gorneg is a reference to the title of this episode, there is a tide. Dot 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 dot. Uh, yes, that's from the well. It's from the Shakespeare uh, Caesar, play yeah. of of Julius Caesar. That's actually from a conversation between Brutus and uh, Cassius after 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 they they've killed Caesar. They're talking about. Uh, I got. I am. Um, I don't know if I should like read the whole quote, but uh, Dave is a big Shakespeare guy, so correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, they're they're basically talking about uh, we at the height are ready to decline there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune uh you know omitted all the voyage of their life is bound and shallow and in misery basically saying like there there is a tide in like like society and like the 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 doings and happenings of people and you can either uh learn to write it and uh have success where it carries you or if you don't then you will will drown in the tide and uh know nothing but misery. or you can live in ohio and be uh, landlocked in, in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is that is correct, Father. That that is the the gist okay. of it. Is that yeah, it is it is about taking advantage of of an opportunity when you seizing the moment when you when it's when it's ripe. And uh, I, I, I at least my assumption was that it was referring very specifically to sort of Vance's opportunity. Uh, you know, arguably it could be applied to other things, but but the yeah. but the, the the thing that was being dangled piece with the emerald chain seemed like. The, the biggest the the original title for th- this episode that leaked a while ago was the good of the people mm. and we can kind of see how that would have been an appropriate yeah. title as well what was the so but they they changed it on yeah, us yeah we find out that that hope is you part two will come sooner than we thought i was speculating it would yes. come next season but so we're actually getting the uh that hope is you part two next next week so uh-huh. we'll be here 7 30 p.m central friday to uh discuss that uh in the meantime though happy new year's everybody and Live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. 
and follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.